Turn with me, if you would, in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. For those of you that are guests, I thought it might be appropriate to say that I have been asked by our elders to bring the series. Um, I think it started on the end of May. It's going to end next week on chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, as we look at the earthly purpose for living out these Beatitudes, to be salt and light. Today we end with the um, number eight Beatitude, and um, tomorrow, or rather next week, then we'll finish up. But my role here as an elder, I've been a teaching pastor in this church um, full-time, I think from 94, early 94 through 2005, when I stepped down and Doug took over as the primary teaching pastor. And um, so I've been just kind of filling in, sort of trying to remind myself what it was like to do this every week um, over the last eight, and now this is the ninth. But um, so that's just a little bit of news for you that are visiting. I'm not now the normal guy that's up here. But we're going to look today at blessed are those persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Number eight out of eight. Seven have come before this. And then look at these, verse 1 through verse 16 of chapter 5 is an introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that has ever been preached in the history of this world. This is the greatest sermon. And the Beatitudes are a wonderful introduction because it introduces the character traits of people who are part of the kingdom, people who are actually right now a part of the spiritual kingdom of Jesus Christ, who have entered it by his grace, these are the attributes that they should be displaying in their daily living. When they are lived out, they demonstrate who we are. They demonstrate just in the way we live that we are not of this world. Do you ever think of yourself as an alien? You know, they talk about, do you think there's aliens here on the planet? Yeah, there are. We are aliens here. Our citizenship is not here. It's there. We are strangers and pilgrims here. This is not our home. This is an abiding place for now that we might be salt and light, as we'll talk about next week. Think your way through these Beatitudes again this morning with me. Starts out with being spiritually poor, poor in spirit. Then comes the mourning over sin, sin in my life, your life, in the world around us as we see this darkness. And after the mourning comes meekness with other people, seeing who we are, and then knowing who we are, that we're poor in spirit and we're only part of his kingdom because of his grace, then we can be meek and gentle in relationship to others. Then comes the hungering and thirsting after righteousness because we want to change who we were. We want to become different. Then comes being merciful. And then 
after that, being pure in spirit, followed by, what did we say last week? Being a peacemaker. Being a peacemaker. Jesus was a peacemaker. We are to be like him and to make peace with all around us as far as it is possible with us. But then comes this hard beatitude, the hardest of all. And at first, you, you even begin to look at it and think, I, I don't get it. I, I don't see why if I'm living these seven beatitudes out, why this one would come into my life. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Why? For the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Same reward as we began with, with number one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now we're right back there, but the final one is, if you live the Beatitudes, if you show you're part of the kingdom, if you show you're an alien in this world, here's your reward. You're going to be persecuted because darkness doesn't love light. You know what it means when you think about being persecuted? It means that others in this world will come against you for no other reason than this, because you display the character of Christ. The light. And the darkness does not like light. It tries to put it out. Jesus suffered in this life. We're going to read in, in a moment from John 15 when he said, listen, if you're mine and I suffered, you can count on this. You will suffer too. Persecution means they're coming against us. It might be coming against our inner man, our intellect, our will, our emotions. And they do that by speaking against us, by talking of about us around the corner or by slandering us or saying false things about us which attacks us in all of those areas of intellect, will, and emotions. But they also, when that doesn't work, they begin to attack us physically, our bodies. They might cause pain. They might lock us up. They might torture us they might even put us to death. You ever thought about that? Are you ready and willing as a follower of Jesus Christ to lay down your life for him if called upon? Would you renounce your faith? One of the things I love about teaching church history in our seminary, by the way, Romans is coming up, just thought I would throw that out. On August 9th, we start for a month in the book of Romans, two nights a week. But in church history, I love to go through that and see what early Christians suffered for Christ. Do you remember Bishop Polycarp, Bishop of Smyrna? When he was older, by the way, he's supposedly the last living church father that was trained by 
that knew the apostles, at least some of them, John in particular. And he was trained by these men. Became the leader of the church in Smyrna. And one day when the Roman Empire was telling people, look, you've got to worship Caesar. You must bow down to him. You must say that he is God. It even came to be that once a year in Rome, you had to go and offer incense in a temple directed towards Caesar and get a card signed off that you had done this or you could suffer. Well, Bishop Polycarp, the servant of God in Smyrna, was brought into an arena with thousands of unbelievers. And the proconsul said to him, Revile Christ and I will release you. Polycarp answered this way, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme him, my king, who has saved me? I am a Christian. To the crowd, the proconsul then proclaimed, Polycarp has confessed himself to be a Christian. And Christians didn't bow to any other god. The crowds yelled, let him be burned. So wood was collected and made into a pile. Polycarp asked not to even be fastened to the stake as was usually done. Leave me thus, he said. He who strengthens me to endure the flames will also enable me to stand firm at the stake without being fastened to it with nails. The wood pile was then lighted while Polycarp prayed with a loud voice, Lord God Almighty, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, I praise thee that thou hast judged me worthy of this day and of this hour to participate in the number of thy witnesses and in the cup of thy Christ. That's the way his life ended. Burned at the stake. You ever burn your finger? Touching a hot stove or a hot plate? You know what it feels like. Can you imagine? This man of God said, I I'm just thankful that you counted me worthy to suffer like this for my faith. Are we ready to do that? We have lived in a country, most of its existence from the time it was founded to the time it became a nation, up until this time, people have lived here. They came here because they were fleeing Europe because they wanted freedom to worship Christ. And largely we have had freedom, but friends, it is changing. Have you noticed? Have you noticed? It's changing a lot. And it may get far worse before it ever gets better, if it ever gets better. We don't know where we're heading. But one thing that we better know because of this beatitude is that we should not expect to not be persecuted. It's coming. We could be losing jobs. We could be ostracized from communities. 
we could be put in jail. Do you remember what this man up in Denver has gone through over the past number of years? Because in his bakery, he said, I don't want to bake wedding cakes for people I don't believe can be married before God. What's he gone through? He's gone through a lot because he stood up for his faith. He talked about what was right and what was righteous. And he has suffered for that. And there's a lot of people that probably think he ought to be in jail. That's where this nation, sadly, is going, is heading. We need to be ready. So this morning we're going to look at three points under this particular beatitude. Before that, though, I want you to turn with me to John 15 and look with me at John 15, 8 to 20, 18 to 25. John 15, 18 to 25. The Lord is speaking and he says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because the world hates, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned, but now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Why did they hate him? Because darkness hates light. And this world since the fall has been dark, primarily dark, ruled over by the prince of the power of the air, Satan. Peoples whose hearts are in darkness. And when light comes and light shines and reveals their darkness, they don't like it. Remember what Cain did with his brother Abel in Genesis chapter 4 at the very beginning? He murdered him because darkness didn't like light. It says of that time, because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. The only reason that Abel got murdered is because he lived righteously, godly, and his brother killed him. That's the life that we've been living now for ever since creation on this planet. Those who are with him, you get to the book of Romans, what do you find in, in chapter 11? They were sawn in two. They were eaten by wild animals. 
they were put to death. That's in the Old Testament. The same is continued in the New. In the 20th century, Christians around this world were martyred in a huge way. Do we know about that? We know little because we have been very blessed in this country. But that's changing again. That is changing. So the first question we want to look at is this. Remember, persecution brings suffering to us. Internally, externally, in a variety of ways. So to begin with, what does it mean to be persecuted for righteousness? Let me read all three of the verses that are before us because this is the only beatitude that appears with three verses. The rest are just one. And in this, the Lord doubles up. He gives it a second time and makes it more personally when he says, first of all, he says, those who have been persecuted. And then he says, when you have been persecuted, you, he makes it more personal for me, because of me. But he uses the same terms. They've been blessed. Their reward is going to be heaven. It's just like all the rest of the Beatitudes. It's a little bit different, however, in this way. The rest of the Beatitudes, the seven, come out of us. This is more coming against us. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on to say, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. What? I'm supposed to be glad when they slander me? I'm supposed to be glad when they persecute me, when they lie about me, when they speak evil about me? Rejoice and be glad? Yes. Why? Because your reward in heaven is great. We all know that we're not going to live forever on this planet under the present circumstances. We're all going to die. I don't care if you, if you figure out a way to live to 120. By the way, I don't want to live that long. If you even decide you can figure out a way to do that, you're going to leave this planet someday and maybe sooner if Jesus Christ comes back. Your reward is heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is not something new. People since Genesis chapter 3 who have come to Christ, like Abraham, who was reckoned righteous because of his faith in the seed that was to come, godly people suffered. It's part of our DNA. You want to live for Christ? This is what's going to come to you. The word persecute, by the way, means this. Literally, it means to pursue, to drive, or chase away. In the Greek language, that's what it literally means. And eventually, it came to mean this, to harass or treat with evil. Treat in an evil way. That's what persecute came to mean, especially in relationship to God's people. 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul writes, Indeed, all who desire to live godly 
will be persecuted. Who does that leave out? Those who don't desire to live godly. Because all who desire to live godly will be persecuted. Philippians 1.29, he writes, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. Think of that. The suffering that we do for his sake, folks, is just temporal. It's just for a while. And then it's gone, and we're with him for all eternity in a new body that will never grow old, that will never get sick, that will never be marred by sin, that will never be tempted again. All of that is ours. Think of this. When Jesus suffered, he suffered for every sin of every believer, and he suffered in this way. We were due eternal punishment, so you multiply all of the people that he died for and their number of sins that they committed that he died for, and then he died so that they would not have to be punished forever in hell. He bore all of that when he cried out, My Father, why have you forsaken me? That was to remind us of what he was enduring. So when we think of our suffering for him, it is nothing. Nothing in comparison. You ever feel like you're suffering, you just can't handle it anymore? You're just about to give up? Just remember what he did for you. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 8. We're just going to look at a couple verses there. Romans chapter 8 and verse 14 to 17. And listen to these verses. For all, Paul says, who are being led by the Spirit of God. By the way, we're going to consider these in that class on Romans. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed, if Indeed, there's that, do you, do you like conditional clauses? They're hard, aren't they? If indeed we suffer with him, suffer with him. It's suffering for righteousness. It's suffering for his name. So that we may also be glorified with him. What comes before being glorified with him? Suffering for him. To be part of our life. You see, the more you are like Christ, the more you will be treated as He was treated. The more you live a righteous life by the power of the Spirit, the more the world will dislike you. The more you point out what is good and what is evil, 
even when done with a loving spirit, the more you will be mistreated. The more you share the gospel and begin to point out, the first point of the gospel is you're lost, you're in sin, you're under condemnation, and justly so. When you start the gospel that way, and you must start it that way, you will be persecuted. Unless God is working in their heart and using you and using his gospel to bring them to himself. Perhaps we have been deceived into thinking that simply trying to be nice to people and avoid saying hard things is the way to go because they will like us and if we become more friendly and they like us, well then maybe we can lead them to Christ. You can't lead them to Christ without telling them their need and them realizing their need. They're lost. They're sinners. They're under condemnation. And some will not like that. Some of you have heard this story. When I was stationed at Minot Air Force Base, and the one thing I remember about Minot, two things, that's where the only base I ever was stationed that I had to plug in a car when I went to work so that it, the engine wouldn't freeze and I'd be able to drive home at night. And then I remember the book they sold there in the base exchange called July, August, and Winter. And I thought that was a funny title. But then I found out, no, it's pretty accurate. It could snow in August in Minot. It could snow in June in Minot. Cold place. One day when I was there, though, and at work, a friend of mine who had the same job I had in another squadron came over to me, and we had become friends over a number of months. I, I really enjoyed the time with him. And he came to me one day and he said, Dwight, the more I'm around you, I've noticed something different about you. What is it? Okay, what do you say at a time like that? I was a fairly new believer then, and I thought, oh, I don't know if I want to get into this right now. And so I said, well, you know, I came from a pretty good family, and my mom and dad had rules, and, and they gave me examples, and I avoided the whole thing that was the major thing. I avoid, avoided talking to him about the one who had changed my life, Christ. Maybe I thought there could be some backlash from that. I don't know what I was thinking. But I repented and began to change and say, God, I want to be ready when somebody asks me what's the reason of my hope, why I'm like I am. I want to be able to point to you. So this persecution is guaranteed to come to us when we're living like Christ. And it can come to us, folks, from anyone around us, from government, government, governing authorities. It can come to us from neighbors. It can come to us from family. It can come to us from a spouse. And I know that because I grew up in a family from the time I was 13 where only one parent was a Christian, and I watched that dynamic. It can come from your spouse. You want to live for Christ, it can come from people that are closest to you. It can come on the job. 
all who want to be godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. And by the way, the only suffering that has a blessing attached to it, that you will be exceedingly joyful, exceedingly happy. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, not just for anything. There are people around us who are being persecuted for a variety of reasons, but it isn't righteousness. They might be persecuted because of their convictions, or they might be persecuted because people just don't like the way they live, or they might be persecuted for any number of things. That doesn't bring a blessing. God is certainly aware if people are being treated unjustly. And God is certainly going to deal with those who are treating people unjustly. But know this, the only thing that brings the blessing is when you are persecuted and you suffer for doing what is right. You remember what Peter said in 1 Peter 4? He said, don't ever suffer for being a murderer or being someone who does evil. That will bring just punishment on you. Don't ever think that anybody will be blessed for any suffering unless it is done for standing on the truth. For honoring Christ. For letting people know who you are and why you live the way you do. Letting them know what is right and what is wrong. Shining the light in the darkness. People won't like that. I've had Christians tell me when I've taught on this, I can't do that. What do you mean you can't? You can't shine light in the darkness. You can't tell people what is wrong, what is ungodly. Well, no, that I don't think they're going to like me if I do that. What was he saying? He wants to be liked. Somewhere deep down, he knows that if I shine the light in darkness, people aren't going to like it. And they're not going to like me. What will that reveal about people who say they're Christians, however? What will it reveal? The Savior who suffered for them says, if you follow me, suffering will be part of your life. I want to share with you one thing before I let this slip out of my mind. There was a fellow by the name of Frederick Nietzsche. Ever heard of him? Anybody in history? His grandfather was a Lutheran pastor. His father was a Lutheran pastor. And Frederick Nietzsche left the faith and wrote a book entitled The Antichrist, in which he, and in his personal memoirs, said he was the Antichrist. Grew up in a Christian home. Father a pastor, Lutheran pastor, Grandfather, a Lutheran pastor. Here's a little bit about Frederick Nietzsche. In his book, in it, he denies what is good, or rather, he defines what is good as all that heightens the feeling of power, the will to power, power itself. And what is bad is all that proceeds from weakness 
Consequently, in answer to his own question, what is more harmful than any vice? He replies, active sympathy for the ill-constituted and weak Christianity. He sees Christianity as a religion of pity instead of a religion of power. So nothing in our unhealthy modernity is more unhealthy than a Christian pity. He despises the Christian conception of God as God. He said in the entire New Testament, there's only one solitary figure that I am obliged to respect. Guess who that was? Pontius Pilate. Jesus, by contrast, he disdains as God on the cross and Christianity as mankind's greatest misfortune. The cause of his venom is plain. The ideal that Jesus commended is the little child. He lent no support whatever to Nietzsche's commendation of the Superman. So Nietzsche repudiated the whole value system of Jesus. I condemn Christianity, he wrote. Darkness does not like light. A man that had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home with a Christian dad who was a Christian pastor. I was, Ann and I were talking on the way down here this morning as we were praying together. And I said, you know, we have no guarantees that because we raise a child correctly and we live Christ before them, that they're going to come. We have no guarantees that it's going to work out that way. We can pray. We can ask God to be merciful to our kids. We can ask God to change their heart, and we should be doing that. But there's no guarantee. And that can't even sway us from following Christ and living out the Beatitudes and being more like Him, being conformed to His image and saying, Lord, even if it means suffering, count me in. Count me in. Now, what is ultimately the promise with this? The promise is your reward is the kingdom of heaven. Present tense. He's saying, in essence, now, when you indicate by living out the Beatitudes and even suffering, you're already in the kingdom. You're just strangers and pilgrims here. But your reward is the kingdom of heaven. Think of this. One day, that reward, that reward is going to be also carried out when we are in the final kingdom, the eternal kingdom on the new earth with Christ, with the Father forevermore. You know, you read in the scriptures of people like Joseph and Daniel, they, they become illustrations of this. They, they were in slavery, they were enslaved, they were, they were locked up because they were children of God. Joseph's brothers even betrayed him. But how did it end up for them? Both of them became prime ministers. They were released from slavery. They became leaders in Egypt and in Babylon. And that is nothing compared to what awaits us in the kingdom of heaven. That day is coming. 
remember Paul listing his persecutions in 1 Corinthians 11? I want you to turn there with me. 2 Corinthians, excuse me. 2 Corinthians 11, just read a little bit about what Paul said about what he suffered for Christ. He says, I more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers from false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. I think he was stationed in Minot. Think of, think of him. Would you have liked to have been his friend? To have been traveling with him, a traveling companion? He suffered immensely for his faith. But not only this, not only are we in the kingdom, and not only is that kingdom going to be fulfilled one day when he returns, and we're going to be with him forever. But did you notice this in Matthew chapter 5? When he repeats it the second time, he says, for your reward in heaven is great. Your reward in heaven. Not heaven being the reward, but in heaven. If you suffer for him, your reward's going to be great. I want to bring up just a couple passages for you to think about. You remember when our Lord was with his disciples and the mother came and said, you know, my son James and John, I just want to know for them, could they sit on your right and left in heaven? And the, of course, the other disciples were not a part of that conversation at that time. So Jesus answers that. He said, that's not mine to give. The Father gives that. But let me tell you, if you want to have a great reward in heaven, here's the way you are to live now. You're to be a servant to all. You're to be lowly. You're to be a slave. That's the way you live if you want to be great there. If you want to get a great reward there. I think the scripture teaches there are rewards for godly living. There are rewards there. I think it has to do with how you will spend eternity, what your role will be, how you will be serving Christ there. There are other passages too. Uh, 1 Corinthians. If you would turn there, just a couple verses out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter 3. And listen to these verses. Now, if any man builds on the foundation, the foundation which is Christ, if any man builds on that with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. How you build in this life will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on remains, he will receive a reward for faithful work. 
If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. And then he goes on to say this. He's not talking about you won't be there, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Yes, the reward is heaven, but there are also rewards in heaven for building well on the foundation. Now, we don't build that in our own strength. It isn't meritorious. We build it, as Paul says in Galatians 2.20, for I am crucified with Christ, and it is not I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. It's not meritorious, but when we by faith live a godly life and when we by faith say, I want you to be first in everything and we pour out our lives for Christ, there is reward in heaven and it is eternal. Can you just imagine what that day is going to be like? Not only will we have the reward, but we will be with Christ, and that's the greatest thing of all. Remember what the psalmist in Psalm 73 said, Whom have I in heaven but you? And the nearness of God is my good. That's the greatest thing. Can you just imagine when you look for treasures in this life, when you, when you sit around wondering, what, are, what am I going to get for my birthday? What am I going to get for Christmas? What am I going to get for being such a wonderful person from those around me? Whatever you're going to get in this life isn't going to even begin to measure up to what you will receive. That's why you can suffer. And that's why this third point is so What's my attitude when I'm suffering? It's to rejoice and be glad. Why? Because it shows that I'm a child of Christ. It shows that my hope is real because it brings honor and glory to my Lord. You remember this verse in Luke? Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and heap insults upon you and spurn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. James also says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Do we do that? When we encounter trials because of Christ? Now note that we are not being told to rejoice in the persecution itself. We're not told that. Persecution is evil, and it comes from evil men. And though a part of God's sovereign plan is to use them like he used Judas, they will suffer and suffer greatly for their sin. So the evil itself will be regretted we will come to the aid of those who are undergoing suffering and undergoing persecution. We will visit them in jail. We will help them in their time of need. However, we should not pursue persecution or martyrdom as if that was something to be pursued, as the Muslims do. It's a grievous thing 
We're rather to be grieved about how Satan influences people to live this way. Grieved about what will happen to the people who are persecuting one day when God pours out his wrath on them. Grieved over the ones that are being persecuted. I love this verse because it kind of brings the two together. 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, As punished, yet not put to death. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. We're to rejoice and be glad that we can suffer for him and give testimony to our faith in him by enduring that suffering. But we're also sorrowful and we grieve at the very same time. But then when do we rejoice? What do we rejoice in? We rejoice in because, again, it brings glory and honor to his name and it shows the world and us, I'm really his. I'm not just, I, I'm not just faking it. Remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians at the end in chapter 13? Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. One of the ways to test yourselves is to say, how am I doing when people come against me because of Christ? How am I doing? This is the hardest beatitude of all. The very hardest one of all. Acts 5, 41 and 42, they said, the apostles said, so they went away on their way rejoicing that they had been considered worthy of the opportunity to witness for him. Romans 8, 18, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You have to look at that side. Look at the glory. Keep your eyes on the glory. Rejoice and be sorrowful. Rejoice because your name is written down in heaven. Be sorrowful because of the evil that is being done. And the master, one who is behind that evil is Satan himself who hates God and hates his people and wants to annihilate all of us. So what do you think about this beatitude? Do you like it? Is it your favorite beatitude? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. That's part of our life. You see, it's coming at us from the outside, but we must have the attitude of Christ that says, I'm ready. I will endure. I will endure. I will endure. Are you anticipating suffering in your life? Maybe more in the days ahead. Have you experienced suffering? How are you responding to the suffering for Christ? If you haven't experienced suffering, are you ready when it comes because it is coming because all who are his will be persecuted? The first 200 years of this nation's history, we've had it pretty easy. Maybe part of having it easy is we also have been hesitant to answer godly. To speak out to let people know who we are, to let people know what we believe, to know what is right and what is wrong, 
in what is light and what is darkness and to shine that light and to be ready for whatever comes our way. Because be assured, darkness won't like it. It will come if we live for Christ, if we live out these Beatitudes. It will come, but we will be blessed and we will be assured of our reward in heaven and that reward will be great and our God will be with us every step of the way. Are you ready? Are we ready? I pray out with all my heart that we are and that we will stand and be a pillar for Christ in this world, in this day. This is serious stuff. You want to be a follower of Christ? It's what it's going to take. It's what it's going to cost. You better be ready to pay with your life if called upon. Father, thank you for these challenging verses and for the Beatitudes. I pray with all my heart that we might, by the power of your Spirit, be living them out and be experiencing the rewards and be rejoicing and happy in this life no matter what comes our way. Be hungering and thirsting after righteousness. We want these things with all of our heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.